pray with me this morning. Father God, we just want to say thank you. There's a lot of people in the world who don't have a lot of hope. Lord, I don't know of anybody in this room who can't say today that they don't have something to look forward to. Even if we're just looking forward to getting out of here and going to eat, Lord, that's something to look forward to. But God, through you, you have given us hope not only for the rest of the day or tomorrow, but Lord, for all eternity. Lord, the hope of eternal life, the realization to know that when we cease to exist here, we will exist forever with you. Lord, that is an enormous comfort. God, I'm not too proud to admit that I need that. And I pray, God, that every person here, every person listening, both today and in the future, will humble themselves and admit that we need your hope. And Father, we just want to say thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for our sins. Thank you for providing a way to receive forgiveness and salvation and eternal life. None of us deserve it, but God, you gave it to us long ago before we ever even had the opportunity to sin. You had already made a way for us to have it. Father, I pray that you would be with us today, that you would speak into our hearts and lives, that you would remind us of who you are, the sacrifice that you made for us. And God, as we gather together, we, we have requests. We have so many people who need you today. Lord, we have people who are away at different churches today who are speaking and doing their calling to missions. And I pray that you be with Greg and Heidi. God, we pray for Pastor Lewis and Nancy Edwards, one of our fellow pastors who were involved in a car wreck yesterday. Lord, we pray for them. Jesus, we just ask that you would be with us today. Help us to give you this time. Help us to give our hearts to you completely. Help us to be humble enough to admit that we need you, not only now, but every day for the rest of our lives. God, we need you. Be with us in all we do. Be with us time. I pray that this will be pleasing to you. We love you, and we pray all this in the precious and holy name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Well, I do want to say thank you to everybody, all the guys, and, and we had a few women here yesterday, but mostly the guys who came and helped move all the pews from the sanctuary and helped store them. Thank you so much. You made the job so much easier than what it was, even though it was extremely difficult. If you see some you know, 20 to 40-year-old men walking around with canes and walkers, you'll know that uh, the, the pews got the best of us. But we thank you guys for doing that. Um, as you know, our sanctuary is kind of under some renovation, so just be in mind, mind of that over the next few weeks. You see the dump shot in the parking lot, just be aware of those things. Um, but we're talking about putting our faith in motion, and a huge part of putting your faith into motion is your responsibility to be a witness and minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, for you to believe... For you to claim to have faith in Jesus Christ, part of the calling on your life is to be a representative of him in all things. 
And you've heard someone say, you know, at all times live for Christ and when necessary speak of Christ. There is an understanding that your life and the way that you live your life is much more powerful than even the words that you could say. You don't have to worry about being so eloquent with words. I mean, a lot of times we get scared to talk about Jesus of what would we do if we were responsible to lead someone to Christ and and have that time of prayer with them and explaining to them what it means to have faith. Your life will do a lot of that for you. Your obedience in Christ. And so part of putting our faith into motion is being obedient to him. People need to know that they're living in sin, right? I mean, one of the reasons why I gave my heart to Jesus Christ is is because I began to feel convicted of the sin in my life, and I needed to do something about that. I remember laying in bed at night, I've said this many times, and not being able to sleep and just feeling conviction, feeling guilt, feeling this weight on my chest like I couldn't breathe, and there was something wrong, and I needed to address that. People need to know that they're living in sin. And the problem is, is that we live in a culture and society where sin is normal. What we believe as sin in Jesus Christ through scripture, the world doesn't necessarily believe anymore. And then you also have a lot of churches who are promoting and allowing sin inside their churches. And so we're living in a day and time where sin is more confusing than it's ever been. And the world desperately needs people who can't only tell them what sin is, but they show them how to live apart from sin. That's the rarity. That's what the world needs more than anything else. Your everyday life, it is necessary. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but it's so necessary for you to have enough faith in Jesus Christ, to believe in him enough for you to live a godly life every day in every situation and circumstance that you can possibly do through the help of Jesus Christ. That is so important. And you need to have faith in order to do that. Because there's some of us who are sitting in this room, and and, and I've been there before, and God is still working with me in sins in my life that, that God has the power to deliver us from sin. We need to have faith in that. We need to have faith that not only he has the power to deliver us from sin, but he has the power to help us forgive people who sinned against us. He has the power for us to overcome addictions. He has the power for us to overcome heartaches and pains of any kind. We have to have faith in that in order to live that out. And if we can live that out, it will be the most powerful testimony that you will ever have in this world. It's so much better than the words that you could say because a lot of people talk the talk, but nobody walks the walk. Our world today is dealing with with people who talk a lot and don't walk very much at all. So many people claim to have faith in Jesus Christ, but when you look at culture and society the news, entertainment, whatever it is that you want to point your finger at, sin is everywhere and the lines have been blurred. Everything is gray. That's the day and time we're living in. There's never been a more important time for you to live for Jesus Christ. People are watching you. Any of you ever had your faith thrown up in your face by somebody? Well, you say you're a Christian, but then you did... 
right? It happens. It, it should happen. They should hold you accountable. People are watching you. If you claim to be a Christian, if they know you're a Christian, they are keenly and purposefully allowing themselves to be witnesses to the life that you claim to have. I don't know if you've ever realized that before. There are people who are watching you. They are witnesses to your life. And they're watching to see how you will react in hard times, how you're going to respond to animosity, whether or not you will forgive others who wrong you, the language you use when you're angry, the jokes you tell in the break room, whether or not you will complain when something happens that you don't like. I don't know about you guys, but complaining just doesn't resonate well with me. And part of your witness will be whether or not you can endure or complain. How you treat those in authority above you, how you treat those under your authority below you, and people are anxiously waiting for you to mess up so that they can have a reason why they don't need to follow Christ. Because think about this. Hopefully everybody in this room today claims to believe in Christ, right? I hope so. Yeah, thank you. We got one proud one. Hopefully you claim to believe in Christ. But your social circles, people that you have the ability to have influence over and witness to, are limited. Some people have more than others. Some people are very limited in their social circles. But the majority of the world do not come in contact with people who truly live for Jesus Christ. It's a very rare thing to find people who truly live it in every aspect of their life. That's rare. And the world is depending on you to live in such a way that doesn't give them the opportunity to say, see, the only person I know who claims to be a Christian isn't even living it out. So there's no need for me to do it. But you're called to live by faith in such a way that convicts and condemns those who are observing you. That's the title of our sermon today. Faith convicts and condemns. Don't let it scare you. It should. It's supposed to for your good, for other people's good. It's supposed to. And just as we've been called out of sin and to follow the ways of God, Jesus Christ has called us to help others come out of the life of sin that hurts and surrender themselves to God's way that works. It's kind of what I want you to remember today. Sin hurts, God's way works. Take that away with you today. And you don't always see the consequences and the results of all those things immediately, but over time, you see that in your life. The older you are, the more you can testify to that. Whenever you're younger, you don't see the consequences of the things that you do quite as quickly as what you do when you're older and you observe and you see all the stuff that's going on. In Genesis 6, verses 5 through 8, we've read this one a few times, we'll read it again. It says, The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he ever made them and put them on earth. It broke his heart, and the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I have created from the face of the earth. Yes, and I will destroy every living thing, all the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground. And even the birds of the sky, I'm sorry that I ever made them. But Noah found favor with the Lord. And let's skip to Genesis chapter 7, 
verses 13 through 16. It says, That very day Noah had gone into the boat with his wife and his son, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their wives. With them in the boat were pairs of every kind of animal, domestic and wild, large and small, along with birds of every kind. Two by two they came into the boat, representing every living thing that breathes. A male and female of each kind entered just as God had commanded Noah. Then the Lord closed the door behind him. I want you to underline that last part, that last sentence. Then the Lord closed the door behind them. That's important. We're going to talk about it later. But what you need to understand is, is in in this moment, the world was living in sin. It was violent. It was sinful, wicked. But Noah found favor with the Lord. And then as Noah did everything that God commanded him to do, Noah got on the boat like God told him to get on the boat, and then God closed the door behind him. That's important. We'll come back to that later. But point number one I want you to take note of today is that results don't matter. Write this down because this is very contradictory to the way that our world works. In a worldly sense, results matter, right? How many of you, your jobs and whether or not you stay hired and you get paid at your jobs is based off of the results that you produce? Even for me as a pastor, somewhat, that's true. It is a very worldly aspect of thinking about things. But what I want to challenge you in today is understanding that you simply cannot base whether or not you're faithful to Christ and doing what he's called you to do and obeying his word and obeying his leading in your life based off of results because results do not apply in following God. And and let me share the reason why. Results are a very worldly thing, so if we're basing things off of results, it doesn't take much faith to operate that way, right? You just base it off of the results. If it produces good results, you keep doing it. Until it doesn't, then you change to produce results in another way. God doesn't operate like that. God operates off faith. Your relationship with the Lord is completely and utterly based off faith. Abraham, the father of faith, Genesis 12 through the rest of the Bible is based off of his faith. God said, go to this country where I will show you. He leads him. He has absolutely no idea where he's going. God says, I'm going to give you this land. And he gives it to his descendants 400 years later. He said, I'm going to give you a son. But he doesn't get a son until like 20 years later, 25 years later, something like that. It's a while. Completely off of faith. And see, the way that we work whenever we follow Christ, and you Christians and even older Christians, mature Christians, we're, we're guilty of this. Like, we want results, right? We want to see progress, right? Anybody want to see progress? How many of you like losing? Nobody? You want to see good, good things happen from the choices you make? Do you not make all your other choices based off of the results? Like you make financial decisions, hopefully in order to keep money or get more money? You base who you marry off of certain results that happen from dating relationships, right? Like you're basing decisions off results. But there are a lot of people who begin to follow Christ, and we just assume that once we begin to follow Christ, that there's going to be all these results that just happen automatically. That all of our problems are going to go away, right? Any of you ever think that? Any of you know people who thought that whenever they follow Christ, everything was just going to go away? But heaven's not here. We still live in a sinful world. There's consequences to sin. There's consequences to our personal sin. There's consequences to other people's sin. 
Nothing could be further from the truth. If you thought that whenever you follow Christ, problems were going to go away and life was just magically going to get better, (laughs) boy, were you wrong. Because a lot of times following Christ can create new problems, right? I mean, when when we're having staff meetings and we're having board meetings and we're having to make decisions and address issues and problems, you know, we always laugh. It's like, there's always problems, but there's good problems and then there's bad problems. So what happens whenever you begin to follow Christ, you might still be dealing with bad problems that was created through sin leading up to that point, but what tends to happen is eventually you have good problems that you have to deal with, and that's a lot of the stuff that we deal with in church. We have good problems, logistical things, how to deal with certain things, good problems, because it's worse when you don't have any problems, because you don't have problems, you don't have people. You got people, you got problems, right? You live in a world where your consequences of your sins are still going to be impactful to your life and the people around you. You live in a world where the consequences of other people's sins are still going to impact you, right? People are still going to get sick. People are still going to die. Finances may never be where you want them to be. Relationships may never be where you want them to be. And especially if the other person is not a believer, That's the world that we live in. A lot of people want to see immediate results when we begin to follow Christ. Like we want to see like fruit and and good things now. And I'll confess, as as a 16-year-old, when I gave my heart to Christ and I started going to church, there were immediate results that I experienced that were good. But there were a lot of things that were just like problems over time that God had to continually work on in my life. Things that I was still dealing with, stuff that I just did not understand. And it's really hard to stay committed to the ways of Christ when you don't see results, right? Is it hard to stay committed to something when you don't see results, good results coming from it? I can remember as a, as a teenager reading my Bible, and I had absolutely no idea what I was reading. I would, I would, I just kind of committed myself early on. I'm going to read a chapter a day, and most of the times I would end up turning to the Book of Psalms because they have some really short chapters. And so I was really tired to be late at night. I'd read my chapter and I'd go to bed. Ninety percent of the time, I'd read something I had no idea what it said, and it was so frustrating. And people just kept telling me, "You need to be reading your Bible. You need to be praying. Make sure you make sure you're going to church and you're around other Christians. Make sure you do these things so that you grow and you don't lose this." aspect of your faith. Like, and I'm just like, I have no idea what I'm reading. It was so frustrating. And in those moments where we don't see the fruit, we have to make a decision of whether or not we're going to stay with it or we're going to give up. And through time, guess what happened? The Lord begins to give you the ability to understand. God puts people in your life, people who understand it better than you do. God created Google, thankfully, there's a lot of stuff I still Google and research, and I call, I'll text and call other people about stuff when I'm doing Bible studies and sermons throughout the week and just ask all kinds of questions like, hey, I just want to make sure I get this right, or, or help me with this. Because you don't understand everything. You're still, it's been 20 years, still learning and growing. You don't always see the fruit immediately, but you have to make a choice of whether or not you're going to have faith to stick with it. A lot of us expect positive results when we make hard decisions. Right? 
It's the big, hard decisions that can sometimes be the most difficult. And we want to see positive results. But what happens is, a lot of times, when we make those really hard decisions, they're very hard for other people to understand, aren't they? Because we don't always understand the things that God wants us to do, do we? I got a friend at a church in our community. He was talking to us this past week. And he was telling me and Pastor Timmy about how their church really felt like the Lord was leading them to do some things. And they knew that this was like God speaking clearly and they wanted him to do this. And so they started making some of these decisions. Some of the people at the church got mad and they've actually had some people leave their church over it. And so we were just kind of talking with him and, and feeling this out. It was like trying to encourage him. If this is what you feel like the Lord is leading you to do, you are responsible to do what the Lord is leading you to do. And the results doesn't matter. Because you think about in Scripture, so many stories in Scripture where people followed God, where people did things, they honored the Lord. How many prophets obeyed the Lord and did what he told them to do and died as a result of it? How many of the people followed Christ, gave their hearts to him, and died as a result of it? We follow a God and we live in a sinful world where a lot of the times where Christ calls us to do certain things, you may not always see the results immediately and it may not always produce the fruit that you think it should produce, but you have to have faith that what God is calling you to do is so right that it doesn't matter what the results are, that you're going to be obedient to him anyway, because one day when you stand before him in eternity, he's the only one that you're going to give account to. And nobody else matters. And nothing else matters. Situations, circumstances, opinions, nothing. When we stand before God one day, we will have to stand accountable to him. I read you this passage last week. This is from Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. Great passage of scripture. It says, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. Oh, sovereign Lord, I said, I can't speak for you. I'm too young. And the Lord replied, don't say that I'm too young for you must go wherever I send you and say whatever I tell you. And don't be afraid of the people for I will be with you and I will protect you. I, the Lord, have spoken. And then the Lord reached out and touched my mouth and said, look, I have put my words in your mouth. How awesome is that? All right, for, for God to come and speak to you and call you, and even though like you're scared and you're not confident enough to do it, the Lord says, no, don't say that. I'm going to be with you. Don't say I'm too young. Your age doesn't matter. Don't say that you can't speak. It don't matter. I didn't want you to say anything anyway. I'm putting my words in your mouth. To have this confidence to know that God has called you and has a purpose for your life is so important. And then when you look at Jeremiah... He's called the weeping prophet for a reason. When we read Jeremiah, there's no evidence whatsoever that there was ever any fruit from his ministry. The only person that we know of who even repented from their sins was his assistant who was with him, assisting him daily. And you look at Jeremiah and you think about he spent the rest of his life delivering these sad, gloomy messages, calling the people of Israel, you're living in sin. 
This is what you're doing. This is what God's going to do if you don't turn away from your sin. And every person, every king, everybody who heard his words did nothing about them and never repented from their sins. And every one of them either died or were taken off into exile to experience the punishment that he proclaimed that God would enact if they did not repent. He didn't have the results. But what you have to understand is is that Jeremiah is going to be able to stand before God one day and he's going to be clean and clear because he did exactly what God called him to do and he gave the people of Israel the opportunity to turn back to him. You with me today? He gave them the opportunity. He interceded on their behalf to help them be convicted and help them to be condemned in that moment. Not because that was God's desire. God's desire was for them to turn away from their sins. But if Jeremiah had not been obedient, he would have been responsible for those people's sins. The results don't matter. You're called to do what God has called you to do. You're called to be obedient. You're called to live a life of example to other believers and to other people. And when you look at Noah's life, he lived righteously. Righteously before the Lord. So point number two, your faith will condemn. Your faith to live a life of example will condemn other people. Do not let this scare you. This is God's plan. You need to understand that today. Living a life of righteousness is God's plan for you to be a physical witness to other people, and it will condemn a lot of people. Just like Jeremiah's calling by God condemned them because they refused, they were made aware of their sin, but they refused to turn away from it. People witnessing your life will see that it's possible to live for the Lord. And if they choose to continue to live in sin, they're condemning themselves. And so you can't be afraid of this. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 7 through 9. We read this a couple of weeks ago. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God, who warned him about things that had never happened before. And by his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world, and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. Remember, Noah did not have power and authority to condemn anyone. But his righteousness, his obedience, proved to the world that it was possible to live the way that God has called us to live. And that's what we are called to do, to be obedient, to live a life of example. God wants us to do that. It's what we're called to do. Your life and your faith. You with me this morning? Why don't you look at me? All right? Your life and your faith, it should be condemning people. And it shouldn't be our desire. Like, no one should be like, oh, we get to go out and condemn people. Like, no, that's not our attitude. But your life should be condemning other people. You should live in such a way that your life is such an example of obedience to God and serving Him and doing what He's called us to do that when people look at it and they refuse to have what you have, to live the way that you live, that it's condemning to them. It's supposed to be. 
Noah didn't do anything wrong. Noah didn't do anything, anything to try to condemn anyone. He simply lived his life in obedience to the Lord. And there was probably enough room on that boat to house a few people if they would have turned away from their sin and repented from what they were doing. There was probably some room on there for them. But what you have to understand is, is that when Noah got on that boat like God told him to do, you remember I told you, pay attention to that very last sentence we read from chapter 7. When Noah got on the boat, Noah didn't close the door. God closed the door and God sealed it behind him because God is the only one who can make the decision on who lives and who dies. Who is forgiven, who is spared, and who judgment falls upon. You with me today? You with me? Now, now this is important because, yes, your life should be condemning people, but God is the one who pronounces judgment on them, not us. So we're not excited. Think about this. We're not excited about this. But you have to understand that you have a calling on your life to be a witness and minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to live an exemplary life before other people so that they will want to follow God. And when you stand before God one day, you will be saved and clean because you did what Christ called you to do and you will be clean and clear because they refused to do it even though they saw you and understood that it could be possible and they still refuse to do it. But if you ignore the calling on your life, and you make it confusing for other people, and you say, oh, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus, but you're still living in sin, and you're still using filthy language, and you're still telling dirty jokes, and you're still gossiping about other people, and you're still getting angry and cussing people out, and it's like, well, I'm just angry, or I'm just this, and I'm just that. How much of God do you believe? Because the life that you live... And if you refuse to accept the calling on your life to allow your life to be an example of what it means to follow Christ, then not only will you be responsible for your own sins, but you'll be responsible for confusing and causing other people to stumble as well. You'll be a stumbling block to other people by claiming to have faith in Jesus Christ, but not living for him, because that's confusing. You with me? That's hard teaching. That's not an easy pill to swallow, but that's truth. If you claim that you believe in Jesus Christ, you can't claim a part of it. You can't claim eternal life. And I believe that Jesus has the power to resurrect me from the dead. I believe that Jesus has the power to give me eternal life. And I can live eternally, but I don't believe that Jesus has the power to free me from my sin. And I don't believe that Jesus has the power to help me overcome addiction. And I don't believe that Jesus has the power to help me forgive other people who's wronged me. Or I don't believe that Jesus has the power to help me overcome something that has been done to me in my life. Either you believe or you don't. And we will be held accountable by what we believe and the faith that we have in Christ to help us not only speak when we need to speak, but especially live every day the way that we're supposed to live. Your life should be condemning. It's not the goal, but it should be. Point number three, your faith will convict. And this is, this is really like, this is kind of what you should be not excited about, but kind of excited about. 
Because it's very hard to go up to someone and have a spiritual conversation, right? Any of you ever had to have spiritual conversations with people? It's not easy. When you have a spiritual conversation with somebody, you are intruding into the very depths of who they are and their soul and their beliefs. And it's not something that a lot of people give access to just random people. Sometimes you have to have months, if not years, of relationships built up with people to even have those conversations. And I've shared with you before, I had a conversation with somebody in my life who is greatly important to me, I love very much. And I asked them about their faith one time, and our relationship after that was never the same. I had went too far for them. Those conversations are extremely difficult to have, but your life will speak louder than words ever could. People are watching you. They're observing you. In reality, they're waiting for you to mess up so that they have an excuse that they don't have to do it. But your life will convict other people. They will see the way that you handle situations. They will see the way that you talk. They will see the way that you're obedient. They will see the way that you care for people under your authority. They will notice every little thing that you do, and it will convict them. And I'm telling you this because even as a pastor... There are people that I still come in contact with and I see the way that they live and the way that they handle situations and the way they speak and the way that they do things and I still get convicted about stuff. And you have to know that like, whenever you feel convicted about stuff, that you have the opportunity and the ability to live in such a way that will convict other people. Your life should be an example for people to look at and see, yes, it is possible not to talk filthy. Yes, it is possible not to gossip. Yes, it is possible to be freed from an addiction. Yes, it is possible to overcome sin. They need to see that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 12 through 16, Paul writes to the church in Corinth and he says... If a fellow believer has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to continue to live with him, he must not leave her. And if a believing woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to continue living with her, she must not leave him. For the believing wife brings holiness to her marriage and the believing husband brings holiness to his marriage. Otherwise, your children would not be holy, but now they are holy. And if the husband or wife who isn't a believer insists on leaving, let them go. In such cases, the believing husband or wife is no longer bound to the other, for God has called you to live in peace. You with me this morning? Paul's just kind of giving this advice on people who are becoming believers and dealing with people who aren't believers. Okay? And in verse 16, he says, Don't you wives realize that your husbands might be saved because of you? And don't you husbands realize that your wives might be saved because of you? And don't you people realize that your co-workers might be saved because of you? And don't you realize that your friends and your family or anybody else might be saved because of you? You are called to be obedient and faithful in Christ and to live in such a way that you might be the reason why people get saved. And can I say again that results don't matter? 
You, you're, you're sitting in here today, and it's so important for you to realize, like, you may not ever know that you impacted someone's life, but it doesn't mean that you're not impacting them. Someone may not ever come up to you and say, hey, you remember that time when the boss came up and reamed you out in front of everybody, and, and you know, you were embarrassed, and, and anybody else probably would have, like, walked out and quit and set the building on fire, but you handled it with grace. You, you remember that time? Like, they may not tell you that, but they will notice it. I told you the story a few weeks ago about, about the pastor from Washington, D.C. who went back to the dude who sat on the side of the road with the sign in the back of his truck, and he had that conversation with him. How many people's been changed as a result of your ministry? He was like, well, honestly, you're the first person that I even know who's been changed by this. You may not ever know. You may not ever have this life where hundreds of people or even one person may come up to you and say, hey, I was saved as a result of watching you and and witnessing you and seeing your life and realizing that it wasn't just a fluke. Because a lot of people may just think it's a fluke, right? I mean, there are people who handle stuff well in various situations than others, like we may not. But when they see you living it out day after day after day, and they see the example, and they see the track record, and they realize that it's not just a fluke, that you didn't just make a good decision in this one moment, but there's something different about you because in everything you are living it out for Jesus Christ, and they see that in you, it will convict them, and it will change their lives, and they will want answers. People will come up and they'll ask you questions. They'll ask you to pray for them. They'll ask advice on different things. And just because nobody is asking your advice or nobody's doing that right now, don't worry about the results. Do what God has called you to do. Because one day the results might come. For Jeremiah... They never came. But it doesn't mean that he didn't do what God called him to do. Guy has a book in the Bible about his ministry. He did exactly what God called him to do. But Paul writes to the church in Galatia, in chapter 6, verses 8 through 10, and he says, Those who live only to satisfy their sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good at just the right time. We will reap a harvest of blessing if we do not give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. Guys, don't give up. Don't get tired. Don't feel like that what you're doing is for nothing and you're not seeing results over it and you don't feel like you're seeing immediate fruit from your decisions or the life that you're living. Stay faithful. Put your faith into motion and live it out. And even if there are no results, don't give up. But I'm a firm believer. Jeremiah is one of those very, very few people in the world who lived and did exactly what God called him to do and really didn't get to see any fruit from his ministry. He's one of the very few. Most people who serve the Lord 
and live according to his word and do the things that he's called them to do, at least get to see some kind of fruit. Most people. And you have to have faith that the way that you live your life. You may not be experiencing fruit in this moment, but Paul writes to the church in Galatia, and he says, don't give up because at just the right time, in God's time, not our time, in God's time, at the right time, you will reap a harvest for all the things that you've been doing, all the work that you've been putting into it, all the sacrifices that you've made because it is sacrifice. You're not going to be able to live for Jesus Christ and not sacrifice. But all the work and all the sacrifice are going to be worth it because at the right time, you will reap the harvest that God has intended for us to reap. But the question is, is do you believe it? You've got to have faith. You've got to have faith to live it out even when you don't see the results and hope that one day you'll get to see them. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to be called, to have a purpose, to have a reason that we are not only just living in this world, but the reason why we're following you. I pray that you would help us to have faith in you, to believe in a way that would help us to sacrifice things of this world, to live for you and be obedient. It is the greatest witness and testimony that we can give to the world. Lord, we need your help. We can't do it on our own. So I pray, Lord, that you would send us your Holy Spirit and give us the power to do the things that you've called us to do. We love you and we ask all this in your precious name. Amen. You're dismissed today.